pray with me. Father, we thank you that your love is, is strong. It's eternally strong. That you are a rock that will not be moved. You are the cornerstone of our faith. And it will never change. You never change. You are always the same. From beginning to end, before time existed, you were God. And in your infinite power, you have created all things, and now you sustain all things by the power of your might for your glory. Lord God, today, may we believe in this power. May our hope be realistic about your power, God. And may it comfort us and strengthen us that we, we, might, we might with faith face the challenges that are before us. I know some who are here today, and the challenge they face to them is great. Thank you, God, that it is small to you. But God, for some who are looking at opportunities and they are wondering, how will, I, how will I be able to do this? Thank you, God, they can rely on you and their strength can be found in you, which would be more than enough. So God, bless now as we seek to understand, to believe in your power, that we might live with hope in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, this God that we read about in the Bible, there's no limit to his power. He is a mighty God. And this God, he is at work in our world. And here's what's, here's what's amazing to me about it all, is that this God with all this power who is at work in the world invites us, invites you and me, as messed up and as limited as we are, he invites us to join in and be a part of what he is doing in the world. He not only, he not only allows that for our individual lives, he allows that for us as a church. Uh, this morning, by way of introduction to the text, I, I want to talk about where God is leading, where God is at work, and how he is calling us to join in with what he is doing. To appreciate that, you have to understand something of the history. Uh, in 2001, I became your pastor. We began a journey, and, and God began to, to draw people to himself. We saw a number of people come to Saving Faith, 2003, 2004, we became a missional church. We not only focused to the ends of the earth, but we began to do things like one great day. We began to impact our community. In 2006, we made what, for me, was a pretty radical change for our church. It was even pretty radical. Up to that point, most of the sermons that were preached here were on topics, and then they were proof texted. So there was a topic that we came up with, and then we found support scripture to speak to that topic. In 2006, we changed that. In 2006, we began to preach through whole sections of scripture. How many of you remember Walk in the Word in 2006? How many of you were here for 2006 Walk in the Word? What I did, for those of you who weren't there, every sermon I preached was on an entire book of the Bible. It was so challenging. But if you'll remember, we walked through uh, D.A. Carson's For the Love of God. I still use that devotion every single day, going on 10 years of studying that devotion every day. But we began to preach, I began to preach verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through books of, of the Bible. Then in 2010, we determined that we wanted to be a, a church where membership mattered. Intensely, So we began to talk about what are the commitments? What are the covenant commitments of every member? And what responsibility does the leadership have for their lives? 
And that led us to, to realize we need to be a peacemaking church, that we need to be a church that can explain the story of the gospel, the whole thing, and that we need to have leadership that is united under a covenant that, that will say, not only will we teach this and believe this, but we're going to live it and you can hold me accountable for it. Now, in every one of these situations, in every step that we've taken over the years, we have sensed that this is where God was at work and we simply got in behind him and we joined him in what he was doing. In 2014, we began to revision Living Hope. Having established what it is we believe, having established what a covenant member is, having established our leadership, we began to ask God, okay, God, what's next for us? What, what do you want to do with living hope? And so in 2014, we took a year to walk through that, pray through that. This year, we've been figuring out how do you make that idea into a reality? And so what, what we have been doing and what we're going to be doing in 2016 is that we're, we're going to begin to establish a new foothold for our church. So what does that mean? Well, it means that we're really going to take hold of this new vision to live hopeful and be helpful to reach 1%. What is 1%? Understand that in, uh, statistically, they tell us that 48% of the people that live in our region they have an association with the church. In other words, if you said to someone, hey, do you go to church? They might say, 48% will say, yeah, yeah, I go to this church. What I like to do and what I would encourage you to do, if you ask someone, hey, do you go to church? They say, yeah, yeah, I go to that church. Say, hey, what's the name of your pastor? I met someone just a few years ago who said they went to Living Hope. I'd never met him before. I said, who is the pastor of that church? Oh, what is that? Brad somebody, Right. And I said, yeah, yeah, he left about 10 years ago. But another great question to ask is, what is your pastor preaching through right now? Oh, at Easter, he was doing the resurrection. I know that. And you might just ask him some questions. But here's the deal. We have 48% that are claiming association, but we only have 14% that claim participation. They're in church regularly. What does regularly mean? Well, it, it needs to mean every Sunday. So here's the deal. On any given Sunday in our community, only 14% of the population will be in church. We want to see that go by 1%. We want to be a part of moving the ball forward one yard. If you can think about it on a football field, we want to push 1% and reach 1% with the gospel. How are we going to do that? Well, with a new mission. What is our mission? To lead more people, to anchor their life in hope in Jesus. Here's what we know. Everything in our world and our culture is changing. There's nothing solid that you can set your feet on anymore. Everything is shifting. We need an anchor that we can anchor our life and hope in, and only Jesus Christ is worthy of that. And we have a strategy. That strategy is going to be what we call a disciple's pathway, where we're going to have people worship, connect, serve, equip, and multiply. This is what, what we do at Living Hope. These are the things we do. And if you look in the bulletin, you'll see these icons based on the announcements. We're, we're doing uh, these things so that we can make disciples of, of more people. That is our goal. Now, in 2016, we have six objectives. There's six things that we want to accomplish. And here's why. So that in 2019, I want you to picture this with me. December 2019, we want to have a celebration. And we want to celebrate what we have seen God do in the last five years. Beginning in this one, we want to celebrate what we have seen God do. So we're going to, in 2016, this upcoming year, we're going to, we're going to pursue six 
primary objectives, okay? Uh, guys, go ahead and put those up. One the first one is to align all the ministries around the mission, that is to lead more people to anchor their life and hope in Jesus, and strategy, which is the disciples' pathway, worship, connect, serve, equip, and multiply, and focus every person in leadership on disciple-making productivity. What we mean by that is numbers of healthy disciples being made. Listen, we're still going to count nickels and noses, all right? That's just a part of it. Here's what we're really interested in. How many of the people that are coming here are actually disciples of Jesus Christ? There's a difference between a convert and a disciple. A convert sides the car, a disciple makes a difference. That's what we're at. We're after people who want to serve. We want to make disciples who are out to serve the purpose of God. And don't worry about writing these down. They're going to be on social media. We're going to have these available on Twitter, my Twitter, all this. So don't worry about it. Just get on our social media and you'll be able to see it. And we'll be putting out a hope line. So no, this is the first thing. Now, again, this is going to take a year. Our leadership is just now understanding the words and what the words mean. So we're now in a tunnel of clarity. We're not there yet. It's going to take a year for us to really get this established. Second objective is this to create a leadership pipeline to care for and enable the growth of more disciples. Here's what we know. At Living Hope, we have more latent leadership that is not leading that we got to do something with. There are leaders sitting out here right now, and you're not leading in the church. And we've got to create a process where you can be equipped to be a leader to the full capacity of what God has blessed you with. What does that look like? We don't know. We're going to take a year. We're going to try to figure out how do we get someone who's a brand new believer and begin to train them to be a leader? Who's a brand new believer and who has latent capacities that we can equip them in. What do we do with some of you who joined our church this last year? You've come from, you've been a disciple of Jesus for years. How are we going to get your leadership into the life of the church? Right now, it seems like it takes forever. So we want to create a pipeline to, to, to enable people to lead. Third, we're going to launch the Hope Center for Biblical Counseling to care for and enable the growth of more disciples. For a long time now, when we talk about local missions, we're typically talking about the down and out. We're talking about people who are uh, under-resourced. We are going to begin to provide a local mission focus to those who need counseling. Here's what we're envisioning. When this thing goes public and we're able to, to say to you, share this with your neighbor, share this with people, we're envisioning, and here's what we're going to be praying for, is people come to you and say, look, we're thinking about getting a divorce, or hey, I think I have an addiction, or a friend comes to you and says, man, our, our child is having some real struggles do you, do you have any, any idea where, where we could get some help? I want you to be able to say to anyone who is dealing with any kind of life challenge, I'm going to call my church and I'm going to set up an appointment for you at our counseling center. And here's what you're going to know, that they are going to receive godly counsel that is biblical counseling, not behavioral modification, biblical counseling that will help them identify how God can heal what has happened in their heart and guide them to truth in their life. And so we're going to begin to fund this. We're going to begin to press this out of our local missions. And it's going to, it's going to require a great deal of time and effort. But no, that's, we want to establish this because we know that there are so many who can't come to Christ because they're so broken in their hearts and minds that they can't even hear or receive the gospel. The counseling center is going to be there as a resource for our city. Fourth, launch family discipleship to begin and to provide for the greatest opportunity for disciples in the home to affirm, train, and resource parents as the primary disciple makers of their children. So this starts next week. 
we're going to begin to explain this. And, and so if you have a child, if you're about to have a child, or if you have a child that is in high school or under, you need to be at the dinner next Sunday night. Now, here's the deal. You need to get res- your reservation. We have just around over 300 that have reservations. But here's the deal. We're going to have barbecue. And if you don't reserve a thing, a, a place, and then you show up, all you're going to get is M&Ms. And just a few, all right? Not many, just a few. But you won't get good barbecue. But we want you to go ahead. You can go online and register, or you can go to the uh, Next Connect Center out here and get signed up today. But listen, you need to understand where it is we're going and how we can help you. We're going to be the home depot of, of home discipleship. You can do it. We can help, all right? That's what we're aiming for. Uh, fifth, we're going to launch the chapel service at 11 a.m., to create worship and uh, worship environment that will provide space and a distinct worship experience that will make more disciples. We have this beautiful chapel in this beautiful intimate environment, and we have had many people over the years say to us, "Oh, I love Living Hope. I just don't like it's just so big. That worship center is so big. We're going to begin to provide a worship environment in the chapel next Sunday at 11 a.m." And here's what I, I, I believe is going to. I don't know if there's going to be a bunch of people that typically worship in here go there. There'll be some. But here's what we're praying for, that there are many people who are not involved in a local church who will begin to worship in that environment where, where they will hear the gospel. Know this, it's going to be the same songs, it's going to be the same sermon just taught through a different, a different person. So Pastor David and Thomas Weekly will be the primary preachers there. We're going to be preaching the same sermon. It's just through my personality here, their personality there. And it's going to be a way for us to make more disciples. Because here's the thing, if we reach 1%, they won't fit in this room. On any given Sunday, a typical Sunday, now this is after fall break, and so there's a, there's a little, there's more seating. But typically, in this service, there's maybe 100 seats, 150. At the 11 o'clock service, there's typically maybe 50 seats, typically none. And so what happens is people come to our church, and because they're from Bowling Green, they show up for the 11 o'clock service at 11.05, Right? So by the time they get their children kind of in the nursery, they show up here about 11, 10. Typically, we're standing up, and all they can see is a mass of humanity in those seats. And the first thought they have is they don't have room for us here. And we do. We have ushers that will help them find room, but we also want to create a space where we can learn to to worship in multiple venues and maybe multiple campuses. We've got to be ready to be able to make disciples of as many as God wants to reach through living hope. The last thing we're going to do is this, produce more disciple makers so that disciple making is a normal activity for more members of living hope where they live, work, learn, and play. We've got to get more of our people making disciples, fulfilling the great commission. We have so many folks who see their greatest duty in their Christian life is to stay out of trouble. And that's not good enough. God is calling us to make a difference, to make disciples. And so what, what's it going to take? You know, as we prepare for this, here's what we need you to do. Plan toward these objectives. That's what we're doing as leadership right now. We're going to budget around these objectives. We're in the process of creating that budget. We'll present it to you in a few weeks. We want you to pray for these objectives. And then we want you to participate in accomplishing these objectives. What's your next step? What's going to be your part? Are you, are you ready to step up and lead? Are you ready to serve? Are you ready to get in a group? What, what is your next step? How, how do you need to make this a reality? Who do you know that is not walking with Jesus? Who do you know that's not involved in a local church? I know they say they go to church, but you see their car parked in their, in their, in their, at their home every Sunday when you, you How can you reach them? 
And something that's on our mind right now, so you'll know, is middle school ministry. And this morning, I'm excited. Uh, Nathan Mattingly is, is coming up. Nathan is a candidate for our middle school ministry. Um, we're excited about that. Ryan, who is leading this ministry, is now going into biblical counseling. Uh, and we believe that Nathan is being called by God. So, Nathan, tell us a little bit about why it is you believe God is calling you to this ministry. Yep. Um, let me go back to March. That's when I really began to, to feel the Lord uh, doing a work in my heart, just preparing me that the season that I was in at Hope House um, was coming to an end. Um, what that looked like to me, I, I've, here I am, Lord. I don't know what that means. Um, so I just began to pray uh, faithfully and just seeking the Lord's uh, uh, godly counsel through men here at Living Hope, uh, one of those being Will Burnham. And uh, so Will uh, was very encouraging to me and said, hey, you're going to fit right in. You know, you're going to be just a peer. I'm like, thanks, Will. Thanks a lot. Appreciate that. Um, so as I pursued uh, the Lord's call um, in June is when you announced uh, Ryan was pursuing his call for family ministry. And I had a, just a fire ignite in my heart because I served uh, on staff here in the bridge for two years and loved every second of it. And, um, and, the, and the Lord just directed me different, uh, on a different path then. And um, so as I was praying and, and just that Sunday, I just went home and started talking to Laura, and we just began to pray. And, and it wasn't an immediate, this is it. It was, is this it, Lord? So over the next couple of months, I, be, I still you know, sought counsel, godly counsel, and, um, and, and just processing through what would it look like if I were to be in that position. And one of the things that really stuck out in my heart was the opportunity to partner with families as the, the main disciplers in your child's life. Because I'm a parent, and I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm responsible for discipling my children. And, and I get that uh, from uh, Deuteronomy 6. I was very excited as, as you're seeing what's going on, you know, the, the next steps at Living Hope of, of making disciples. And our first place as parents are our children at home. And it says in Deuteronomy 6, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you talk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. So there's no room for an excuse there. That whatever we're doing as a parent, we are to be speaking of the gospel to our, our children. Telling how God is at work in the little things, in the big things, in all things that we do. And, and of course, you know, we, we look at the middle school age. And a lot of people are thinking that's a really awkward age. And some people might use the word alien. And <laughs> yes, maybe. Um, but I love that. I, I, I love that age. The, the kids are great. And I just have a real passion to, to serve those kids and see them grow in their own spiritual life to live on mission and to reach out to their peers and, and to speak of their wonderful Savior, Jesus. Um, so, man, we're excited. So affirm this is dear brother. We're excited. Thank you, Nathan. <clears throat> At the end of the service, we're going to have the opportunity to affirm as a congregation if we believe that is God's will, that God would lead him to, to lead this ministry. But as we think about this ministry, I've been able to focus more attention to leadership than I have. And another concern we have for middle school is the space uh, that they're meeting in. Um, they're down in the basement, and maybe that's where they're supposed to be, but I, I don't know. You know, I asked the question, why, why are the middle schoolers in the basement? And someone said, well, they're the only ones who won't complain about being in the basement, right? And so I thought, well, that's not a good enough reason. So that may be the space, but I don't know. Pray with us about that space. I'm not, we're not convinced that that's the, uh, that's the right thing that we need to do. But for you, here's what I want you to do. As we get ready for 2016, there's a few things I want to I ask, some basic steps I want you to begin to process through. First of all, I want to encourage you to be more consistent in worshiping in your financial giving. Here's the deal. 
a lot of you, a lot of you are not faithful in your worship attendance. You come maybe once a month, maybe once a quarter. And if you're a Christian, listen, you're, you're living in disobedience to God. Worship is not an option for his children. God calls us as a family to come and to worship. And you need this. And more importantly, God is worthy of this. God is worthy of your time and your praise. And if you're missing that, you're missing a key component. The second thing is giving. Listen, God doesn't need our money, but God wants us to learn to be good stewards and to trust him and to seek his blessing. And so we read in Scripture, Jesus spoke plainly about give the tithe. That's what that's a basic. And here's what I would encourage some of you to do. Start giving something. If it's a buck, give a buck. If it's ten, give a ten. Start giving something. Some of you need to begin to begin percentage givers. Give one percent. You say, how do I figure that out? Hey, listen, Biblical Counseling Center, call them. They'll help you <laughs> walk through uh, uh, financial planning if that's what you need. But listen, begin to give. Second, Share with others your hope in Jesus. Listen, you've got people in your neighborhood where you live, work, learn, and play. Start talking to them about what Jesus is doing in your life. You're keeping the best thing in your life a secret. Begin to share with them and then bring more people to worship with you. Listen, I had people share Jesus with me, but it wasn't until I was in a worship environment that I could see I could see how God was at work. I could hear the gospel. And what I was being told by friends was being affirmed by the message I was hearing from the pastor. You need to be bringing people to worship with you, especially those who don't have a church home or those who are lying who say they do but don't. Last, help others make their next step as you make yours. I don't know what your next step is. Maybe it's just regularly getting to worship. Maybe it's time for you to get in a small group. Maybe it's time for you to serve. Maybe it's time for you to be equipped for leadership. Maybe it's time for you to multiply, to go on a mission trip, or or to begin to be a missionary where you live, work, learn, and play. I, I don't know, but as you're making your next step, help others come along and make their next step. And all the while, here's what you need to understand you're doing. You're not stepping out and saying, okay, God, follow me. Here's what you're doing is you're saying, God, I know you're at work. I'm going to step out in faith and join you. Our God is a powerful God. And this God has chosen to be at work in the world. And he is now inviting us to be a part of it. And in order for us to really be a part of it, our our hope has to be realistic about the power of God. And what we see in our text today is is what it looks like when, when our hope is realistic about the power of God. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, take it out and turn with me now to 1 John chapter 4. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's one in the pew in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, take that one home with you. That's our gift for you. Uh, this morning, Peyton Young is going to read for us. Peyton is the daughter of our children's pastor, Troy. Let's all stand together in honor of God's word. And she's going to read the text I'm going to exposit here. This is 1 John chapter 4. She's going to read verses 4 through 6. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world. And the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. The word of God. Thank you, Peyton. If you would, go ahead and be seated. Take note as we walk through this text. There's, There's space there in your bulletin or there on the church app. How can we know when our hope is realistic about God's power? Well, one thing is this. It's when we realize how great God in us is. I love that phrase there. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. It is God in us 
who is great. Our God, this God is powerful. We, we just sang about this. We, we just said, you know, we got to sing out. What does it say? Can you guys put it up there? Sing out, lift your voice and cry out. Awesome is our strong God and mighty is our God. We need to understand how great is this God who is in us and not be intimidated by those and that which is in the world. I, I was watching a little football yesterday and I saw something that I, I, you see um, more and more in, in football today, not just in college, high school, pro, is, is typically uh, there, there's, a, there's a, someone called a linebacker. Linebackers are bullies by nature, okay? You, you, I, as a former quarterback, you just have to know there's just not a lot of love for linebackers. And so what they typically do is they will come and tackle and hit a quarterback, often late, but they will hit a, a quarterback and then once they're, they're getting up, many times the linebacker will stand there, outweighing him you know, by several pounds, talking and taunting and, and kind of intimidating the quarterback until an offensive tackle shows up. And I saw this yesterday. There's a big old linebacker. He's running his mouth to a, a, an innocent, well-meaning quarterback, right? That offensive tackle shows up, and all of a sudden that linebacker can find his huddle just fine, right? All of a sudden, he's backing off. He's finding his way out. You know, God is like a great offensive tackle. You know, I love snappers. Snappers are great, but they're typically loud. They typically get in trouble. They're the life of the party almost always. They're just that kind of, they huddle everybody up, right? I love guards because guards will get downfield. And typically, if you see a lineman picking up a player who is down the road, it's typically a guard. But I'm going to tell you what tackles do. Tackles watch your back. Tackles are always busy fighting battles that you don't see. Tackles are often clearing the way to, to enable the play and for, for the, the need to go forward. And that's what God does. I want, I want you to know right now, God is blocking for you in ways you can't even see right now. God is doing things that you can't. He is opening up a path for you right now. And, and he, is, he is there and he is big and he is mighty and he is strong. And he is like a great offensive tackle. He is there for you. He is in you. And what is the world doing? The world is talking smack and trying to intimidate and trying to frustrate and trying to overwhelm. And you know what our God says? I'm bigger than you. Get away from this one. This one's mine. And here's what we can do. We can trust in God. We can rest in his purpose and his plan. And we can know that his power is great. We need to be realistic about the power of the God in us. And secondly, our hope is realistic about God's power when we realize how weak the world around us is. They are from the world. They speak from the world and the world listens to them. It often feels like the, the world is, is bigger and stronger just because it's louder. The messages of the world are frustrating and, and, and irritating to those who know the truth. It's sad right now. You can't, you can barely even watch anything on television anymore. We record even sports shows because we have to fast forward through the commercials and, and forget going to the movies. There's nothing to see. Thank God there's beginning to be Christian movies that are coming out. But when you go to popular radio and television and movies, I mean, there's just so much junk and they're saying the same thing. And what they offer is so weak. It is such a weak substitute for what God has to offer. The world has four things to offer. You've heard me say about this before, the four Ps, power, popularity, possessions, and pleasure. And guess what? They're all worldly and you can't keep any of them. 
sooner or later, the power of the world, the world popularity, worldly possessions, worldly pleasure, sooner or later, they all go away. And what's crazy is the people that have these are usually so anxious and angry and and overwhelmed with trying to keep it that they can't even enjoy it. That's where greed comes from. That's where overdosing comes from. That's where addiction comes from. It's because these worldly pleasures, this power, these possessions, they often, they, they are not tools. They're often the very things that hold and confine and imprison an individual. And they are horrible substitutes for what God wants to do. See, our God gives real power through love. Our God gives real pleasure through worship and acknowledgement of, of Him. He gives true popularity, which will last forever in the halls of heaven. And then He enables us to rest in His grace. When there is grace in your life, and you know that your sin is forgiven, and you know that God is with you, there is peace. This is what God offers, and the world can't touch it. Yes, the world is louder. Yes, their advertisements are better. Yes, there's, there's, there's more of what they are saying, but it's a lie. It will not satisfy the longing of your soul. And I want, to, I want you to hear me. If you're relying on power, pleasure, popularity, or possessions to satisfy the longing of your soul, you're a very poor and hurting individual. But I want to tell you, God's love and his power can redeem you. And he will do it through the gospel. And that's where our, our hope is made realistic about God's power. It's when we realize, third, how real the gospel is. The gospel is real. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. Listen, the gospel is our message. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news that God loves sinners and has come to rescue them from death and sin. That's the good news. That's our message. But the world does not listen to this message. The world thinks that message is a joke. And that shouldn't surprise us because Scripture tells us that. In 1 Corinthians 1, 23, it says, But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block, a joke to Jews and folly to Gentiles, Greeks. There are two types of people in our world that are not Christians who think the gospel is a joke. First of all, I would put under the heading of Jews, religious types. There are religious types. These are the people who think that they can gain favor with God through their rule-keeping and through their ceremonial commitment to the institution of the religion that they hold to. Let me tell you what religion leads to. Hate and death. Religions, I don't care what label you put on them. And when I say religion, I'm not talking about biblical Christianity. I'm talking about religion. You say, well, what's the difference? Let me tell you the difference. Christianity teaches that God has come to us so that we can get to him. Religion teaches we must earn our way to God. All world religions, Islam, any other world, any religion in the world creates arrogance and pride because there are people who say, look at the rules we're keeping. Look how much better we are. Look at how much better our rules are than their rules. And it creates war and it creates pain. Religion mocks the gospel. The gospel says, listen, we can't get to God on our own. So God came for us. Who else mocks? The the Gentiles, the Greeks, what we would call secularists. People who say, there is no God. You need to create your own way through civic pride and and participation, through uh, education and and through your own personal pursuits. There's where you'll find your meaning. But the, the problem with that is it's empty. 
It has no soul. If that is your pursuit, if your pursuit is a secular pursuit, here's what you know. There's no eternal future in it. And by the way, you have an eternal soul. So if you're pursuing a temporary pursuit as the primary function of the purpose of your life with your eternal soul, you're in trouble. But we have the gospel. We have the good news that God has come to set us free and to give us life. And this gospel is real and this gospel is true. Write it down. Our hope is realistic about God's power when we realize how true the gospel is. Look what it says in the last part of verse 6. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. The story of the gospel matches everything we hope for. Think about some of your favorite movies growing up. Think about some of your favorite movies. Think about Disney movies. Think about, you know, clean movies, good movies. Here's what I can tell you that exists in almost every movie you've ever loved. Three things. First of all, there's a hero. That hero will typically have to leave some kind of comfort to go and rescue a princess or some people in need. Second thing is there is a villain. There's a dragon or some dark force that is trying to enslave and to destroy everything that is good. How does how do all good movies end? And they lived happily ever after. And how does it get to that ending? The hero at great sacrifice of him or herself saves and rescues the ones in need from the villain and overcomes through their sacrifice. That is the storyline of every, almost every movie you've ever loved in your life. And why do you love it? Because it is in line with the gospel. And the gospel is the, is the heart cry of our soul. This gospel is true. No other storyline makes sense. Listen, post-modernity, secularism makes no sense. That's why those movies don't make any money, because all they do is leave you depressed. There's nothing worth going to see in post-modernity, because it does not, it does not speak to the soul and to the story that, that is God, that he has revealed in the very nature of the way we think and believe and delight. And so what we, what we have now are, are people that are needing this gospel story, but they can't understand it. I was talking to a friend uh, that, that's trying to, to, to share Christ with his friend. And his friend, he, said, he started just kind of making fun of me. He's a secularist. He's kind of making fun of him. And so he asked me, he said, what do I do with someone who, who just doesn't get it? And I said, you have to understand that they can't see the gospel. See, they, they're, they're in error. It says here, but by this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Without the spirit of God, there's no way to understand the, the, the gospel and then the error that exists. And so when they hear the gospel, it makes no sense. It's like trying to explain Picasso to someone who's never seen Picasso and say it's a masterpiece. Who understands this, right? I mean, this is crazy. Imagine you've never seen uh, a Picasso and someone's like, well, good, easy, gotcha. Uh, imagine if I, if I say this is a masterpiece, now, imagine you're trying to explain this to someone, but they can't even see the picture. Imagine saying, okay, uh, let me tell you about Picasso. He drew this picture of this chick with some jacked up forehead. And the eyes, I don't know what they're doing there. The nose is way over here. Uh, the lips seem normal, the neck seem normal, but this whole head thing, I don't know what we've got going on here. This is some kind of a, a, a bad Shrek or something. I don't know, but it's a masterpiece. You know, if you heard me describe this, 
you'd be like, this, this is ridiculous. This isn't art. This is cartoon. My four-year-old could draw this, right? There are those who look at the gospel the way I would look at Picasso. It makes no sense to me. They look and they think, wait, wait a minute. You're telling me that the world is meant to be in harmony, but because of sin, there's brokenness and death. But God, in his grace and mercy, left heaven, took on flesh, lived a holy life, died to pay for the sins, was resurrected, and will save anyone who believes, and one day he's going to return again, and he's going to bring harmony to the world. And I say, yeah, that's exactly it. And there are those who say, I don't get it. And here's what we need to understand. The fact that any of us get it is a miracle of God. And that if you do get it, you need to be grateful. And for those who don't get it, we must be patient. It took me a long time to understand the gospel. I thought it was religion, and I was a good secularist. But there was prayer, and there was the power of God that was able to convince me of the truth. The gospel is real. The gospel is true. And some of you, I want to invite you today to believe that. Some of you, I want you to ask yourself this question. What are you depending upon in your life to be your strength? What is your strength? Well, it's my career. It's my education. It's my child. It's my spouse. my friends. Okay, you have an eternal soul. What is your strength? Will it last? Christ alone, the eternal God with eternal grace, is sufficient to save you and be your strength. But you must believe in him by faith. Some of you are my dear brothers and sisters in Christ, and you're facing a crisis right now. Some of you, it's a crisis of pain. Some of you, it's a crisis of opportunity. Here's what I want you to know. Whatever it is you're facing right now, Listen, please listen. It is a small thing to God. It may seem like a huge thing to you. It is a small thing to God. Cancer is a small thing to God. Job loss, job opportunity, marriage, child rearing, which is huge. It's a challenge, right? Small thing to God. But here's the thing where's your strength? Is your strength in what you can figure out or is your strength in Christ alone? Are you trusting Christ to be your strength in what you're facing in life? If not, you're missing it. And today I want to invite you to come and get on your knees and say, God, I believe, help my unbelief. Some of you need a miracle today. Ask for it. Is his arm too short to accomplish it? No, Scripture says no. God is in that... He's in the miracle business. The question is, will we ask him? Will we believe? Will we trust? Is our hope realistic about the power of God? I want to invite you to come and get on your knees and do some business with God right now. And ask him to do what only he can do. To forgive you and save you. To be your strength. To do something miraculous that that can only be explained by the very fact that he was present and he chose to move. I dare you dare you to ask him for it. Let's stand together as we pray. Father God, I do ask that right now as we come to this 
very brief moment where we can reflect and, and say back to you what we believe, that, that there will be some who will say yes to you, God. They'll say, yes, I believe in Christ. They will say, yes, I want Christ to be my strength. But they will say, yes, I believe God can do this miracle, and so I'm going to dare to ask him to do it. Lord, whatever is needed today, I pray that you will give the person, that man, that woman, that child, the courage to come and to get on their knees in front of you and ask you to do what only you can do, and that you would bring about the change that you've already planned. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.